Uh, my name is Mike, and I am not uh, your sermonator for the evening. I am here to introduce uh, the guy who is. Brad Wittstrom is professor of uh, youth ministry, youth and family ministry, and outdoor leadership at Denver Seminary, one of the uh, many representatives from Denver Seminary here at SCUM. And um, I asked him to speak because I like him, uh, because I was in a jam, and because I knew he had good things to say if I asked him. So would you please welcome Denver Seminary's Brad Woodstrom. And as you can see, I like Mike, and I want to be Mike. Uh, um, Larry Walters always wanted to fly. Larry, from a young age, wanted to fly. When he graduated from high school, Larry joined the Air Force. It was there that he found out that his eyesight disqualified him. So Larry, rather bummed, um, decided, well, he got to move on with life. So Larry got a job driving a truck, and he would come home at night, and he would sit in his backyard, and he would watch other people fly. He would sit and he would watch the planes fly overhead in, in and out of LAX, Los Angeles International Airport, and thinking, why can't it be me? Then one day, Larry got a brilliant idea. Larry went down to the neighborhood store, and he bought 45, count them, 45 seven-foot weather balloons, two tanks of helium. He got out his trusty Sears aluminum lawn chair. You can see where this is going. Went in the backyard of his girlfriend's house, and he tied the lawn chair to something immobile. And he attached these weather balloons to his chair and filled them up. Up they went. His lawn chair there, he put on it. You can Google this, those of you that have smartphones, right now and find out. Snope says this is true. He attached them. He put gallon jugs of water for ballast, and he actually put on a parachute. He grabbed a pellet gun, some peanut butter jelly sandwiches, and what everybody needs when they're going flying, a six-pack of beer. He strapped himself into the chair, and he then, against all wisdom, had his friends cut him loose thinking he would fly, hover up about 300 feet above his girlfriend's backyard, but he almost instantly, as happened with my notes, this will be fun, soared up to over 13,000 feet. And he just kind of floated as he held on for dear life. One account says he dropped the pellet gun on his way up. He actually had a CB radio. If you go and Google Lawn Chair Larry and you come to the site written by a guy named Mark Berry, there's even a link there where you can go to about a 20-minute to 30-minute audio clip 
where you hear him talking with his girlfriend, you hear him talking with the flight tower, and you hear interrupting pilots from airplanes flying by, wondering what is going on. Larry starts drifting out to sea. Then the wind changes, luckily, and pulls him back in. And Larry pops a few of the balloons. He starts coming back down. And the key piece to this story, even though he is an idiot, um, but the key piece to the story which connects with us is that Larry, when he was coming down, when he was landing, was immediately arrested by LAPD. Somebody asks him, I don't know if it was a reporter who it was, Larry, why did you do it? His response was, a man can't just sit around. A man can't just sit around. Larry was not content with just sitting around. He knew he had to do something. The challenge that comes out of this as we step into our text for today, the challenge that comes out of this that ties in with our hot topics that we've been walking through this summer is what I've called comfortable Christianity. We, so many of us, and I point a finger at myself, become comfortable sitting in our backyard watching other people fly by. We become comfortable sitting and watching the Mikes and the Leonors and the Devas and the others that are doing things for God. We come up with our excuses. I don't have the gifts that it takes. I don't have the time that it takes. I'm busy. I'm busy just trying to survive day to day. I lost my job. I have to keep going out and checking again and again if I can find one. Like my mother-in-law said today at lunch, it was my father-in-law's 84th birthday. They came down. As we were talking about different things, she literally looked at us and said, I've done my job. She, can't, she won't listen to this. She doesn't listen to podcasts. She said, I've done my job. We've served the Lord. It's time for other people. Nowhere in Scripture is there the doctrine of turns. Nowhere in Scripture is there the doctrine of retirement. We become comfortable. I tell you, as an aside, that's one reason my wife and I moved from Washington State. We were at that time teaching in the public schools and becoming very comfortable sitting there and going and doing our thing. And God called through a friend of mine to come to Denver Seminary. He's like, we're comfortable. You know, if we stay here, let's count how many years till retirement. Let's count how long until we can buy that little house on the lake or on the Puget Sound. We can get that kayak and we can just kind of enjoy ourselves. But God prodded us and pushed us and said, stop being comfortable. A man can't just sit around and know. Come on, Nick. A, a woman can't just sit around either. Can't leave you out of this either. Mm -hmm. So we're going to look today at a text of scripture where there's a story of 12. Sorry, they're men. Jesus chose men in that day and age. Twelve men that are kind of getting a little comfortable in their scenario. But one of them decides, 
I've heard the story of Lawn Chair Larry. I need to step out. So let's look at our text for today. Starts in Matthew chapter 14. Starts in verse 22. Now this verse here, there's a little backstory as you see what's going on. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on. So I always ask when I see a phrase like that, what happened before? So guess what? I'm going to tell you what happened before. If you have your Bible, I don't know if you do, go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 14 because there's two stories that lead into this account that are very important for us. The first story has John the Baptist losing his head, literally. John the Baptist has been put in prison. He accused and he stood up and he pointed out Herod for marrying his brother's wife, Not exactly a good thing to do. John the Baptist was a man who pointed out things that shouldn't be done. Herod didn't like that. Hey, she's a fox. I like her. You know what? I don't care about my brother. I want her. She's mine. So Herod throws John into jail, into prison. But he's afraid of John because John has all these people that like him, think he's a prophet. So he kind of leaves him just sitting there rotting. But then Herodias, the woman he married... At her birthday, has her daughter dance for Herod. Herod thinks, this is pretty sweet. She's shaking it pretty nice. So Herod says, I promise on vow I'll give you anything you want. And so talks to mom. Mom says, I don't like that John guy. Ask Herod, my new hubby, who's got all the power. I want his head on a platter here now. Happens. The word gets to the disciples. They go. They bury the body. They go and tell Jesus So here you've got the first story. Jesus, the disciples now have lost a close friend. Jesus has lost not only a close friend, but a relative, somebody who was preparing the way for him, somebody who was that Elijah that was prophesying in the wilderness, who then baptized Jesus, commissioned him on the start of his ministry. So Jesus, it says in the next text, which leads up to our passage, says that Jesus then loads the boys in the boat. It's not how it's phrased, but sounds good. Loads the boys in the boat, and they go to get away to a solitary place. But the people find out. They follow them, which then leads into that famous story most of us heard if you were raised in Sunday school of the feeding of the 5,000. So now they've gone to get away. They want to relax They want to start the grieving process. They want to recover. They want to spend time, Jesus, alone with his father. And the people show up. Jesus begins to minister to them, begins to heal them. It goes into the feeding of the 5,000. Their family vacation and getaway has been ruined, but Jesus never finds ministry ruined. That leads us to this. Jesus sends the disciples away while he then dismisses the crowd. So the disciples now get in the boat and we pick up the story. We pick up the story here. And if I can find on here, I hate turning backwards and reading. After he had dismissed them, he went on a mountainside by himself to pray. 
When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. So here you've got 12 disciples that had every excuse in the book to kick back, to be comfortable. They were physically tired. They had been rowing into the wind. Into the wind. They were spiritually exhausted. They were emotionally drained. They had every reason to say, you know, we're done. We're toast. We need to just go by ourselves. We need to go up on the mountainside and kick back and let God minister to us. But there is one impetuous man who says, comfort is not in my vocabulary. Excuses are not a part of my life. He says, that I believe is my Lord. You know what? I can't be here in this boat when he's out there. I can't just stay. I can't just sit. I have to do something. But again, like me sitting in Washington, I had every reason to say, you know what? We had a good life here. This, this boat is feeling very comfortable. Look over the edge. I don't see anything very firm over the edge. There's a lot of questions and unknown out there. I think we'll just stay in this nice, comfortable, dry boat, hanging on to the mast for dear life. So what does Peter do? Peter is the Larry Walters of this story. Peter didn't have a lawn chair. Peter didn't have balloons. He didn't have helium. Didn't have a CB radio. Peter says, is it you? Jesus says, come. So you know the story. What does Peter do? Peter kind of walks up to the edge of the boat. I'm picturing this. used to do some children's ministry, so I could say, put on your thinking caps and close your eyes. Hear the wind. Feel the salt water. I guess there's not salt water in the Sea of Galilee. Feel the waves bursting across the side. It's comfortable in here, but you know what? Jesus said, come. So Peter... I really don't think he hesitated like me. Peter, as impetuous as was, probably just probably kind of took the running, flying leap. But Peter steps out. 
he gets out of that boat and he starts walking towards the Lord. Key takeaway as we start this, I got three of them that I want to challenge you with. I guess this just fits. There we go. Um, We are immobilized, and I say we. We are immobilized by our excuses and by our comfort. We sit back, I, you, oh, but God, no. Think of some of the people in Scripture. Think of Moses when God comes to him at that burning bush and God's challenging him. He needs to go back down to Egypt to go and lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And Moses, but, 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 but I can talk so good. God says, go, and he stutters again. I picture that. And then he says, okay, I'll send Aaron, your brother. He'll be your spokesmodel. You just go and you be with him and you be the leader. Says no, and finally that text, which if you walk away with nothing, this is something I think that scares me, hopefully scares you, that the text goes on to say then that the Lord's anger burned against Moses because he was giving the excuses and not following through on the challenge that God had given to him. So finally then, Why should I go? Will you go with me? I won't go unless you go with me. And God says, I will put the words in your mouth. I will go with you to Pharaoh. Think of Jeremiah. When Jeremiah is called in the first chapters of the book of Jeremiah, where God says to him, before you were formed in your mother's womb, before you were born, I knew you and I appointed you and I called you. And then he says, I will give you the words to say. Paul, as it says in 1 Corinthians, as he's talking there, that passage that goes over chapter 1 and chapter 2, where he says, I come to you with fear and trembling, not with wise and persuasive words, but so that the Spirit's power might be shown, might be manifested, might bring the praise and glory to the Spirit of the living God. But we are mobilized by our own excuses and by our fears. Can you relate to that? So what happens then? Oops, don't oh, don't cheat. Peter gets out of the boat. Peter starts walking, as you can read there, across the water. Now, I want to jump away from this just a little and say that so often we read this text, and what sermon, what message do you hear? Peter doubted. Peter doubted, and Jesus had to save his butt. I want to flip it and say, why don't we look at Peter's jumping out of the boat, his following through on the call that Jesus said, come, his leaving behind the safety and the security of that, yeah, it was a rocking boat in the wind and the waves, but sure, it looked a whole lot better than being out there walking on those waves, because remember, the storm didn't still until after. So look at Peter stepping out and walking towards Jesus across that water. Yes, he does lose sight in the midst of it, which is encouraging to me, because as we step out, we lose sight. We may say, okay, I'll follow through, I'll do it. Yes, you call me, here I go, I'll do it. But then we get out there and all of a sudden that 
first person challenges us. We've gone down to the 16th Street Mall and we're going to go share our faith. And that first person says, you, when you hear the words they might say to you and, oh, this is uncomfortable. Or we say, okay, okay, Mary, I'll help you in the nursery. She's wave at Mary. She's behind that window there. Hi, Mary. Um, And we get in there and that first little kid bites us. Or that parent comes, and there she is. She's waving. Hi, Mary. Thank you for your service. Um, And all of a sudden we say, this isn't so wise. This isn't so smart. I'm not so sure I should have done this. And we start collapsing and wilting like Peter. But at the same time, Peter, does anybody else know here anyone that has walked on water? Now, I know that... um, the, the, the gal in, um, what is it? I almost said born identity in, um, uh, you know, you, you did a lot of speaking on it. Brown, Dan Brown. Da Vinci Code. She tried to at the end, you know, and didn't work, didn't work. But Peter got out of the boat and actually walked on water through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of Christ saying, Come. Climbed into the boat, the wind dies. Second takeaway, when we step out of that boat, we don't do it alone. We don't do it alone. It's in the wisdom and the power of the same God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That we step out of that boat and we get away from our comfortable Christianity. We say, you know what? I cannot just sit around. I have to do something. I'm going to step out. So what happens when he does? That last paragraph is significant. That last paragraph, Peter steps out. The rest of them are hugging on to that mast. They may be bailing for all their life for the Maxwell House coffee can or You know, you cut the old end off of a milk carton and you're bailing away. Peter's out there scared to death, but experiencing the power of God through him as he stepped out in faith, leaving the comfort behind. And what ends up happening in that last paragraph? What ends up happening? Adam, what ends up happening? I'm sorry? After you, look at that last line. They worshipped him. It led to an experience of recognizing that Christ had power over the natural world, that Christ had power over the wind and the waves. It led to an experience of awe-filled worship of the living God. I think it's very significant Very significant. I have no proof for this, but I think that I can connect, that we can connect this text with just two chapters later. Two chapters later, we call it Peter's Confession. When Christ says to the disciples, who do the people say that I am? They say, oh, they say you're Elijah. You're one of the prophets. And then Jesus does that. Who do you say that I am? And what does Peter say? Remember, Peter was the one who stepped out of the boat. 
Peter was the one who experienced God working through him. Peter was the one who left the comfort behind. Peter was the one that said, you know, I'm not going to be comfortable. I'm going to test this. I'm going to experiment. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. If he doesn't come through, I'm in the bottom of that lake. And when Craig comes and leads his tour from Denver Seminary, maybe I'll come floating up all nice and bloated. And they'll say, oh, look, a body. But Peter is the one who I think, because of this experience, led him to that point of being able to recognize you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. I have seen it. I have experienced it. I know it through personal experience because you know what? I didn't just sit at home showing up on Sunday night. I just didn't sit in Washington State. My feet kicked up teaching eighth grade language arts. Okay, today we're going to read from Dickens' The Christmas Carol. My wife teaches language arts, no question. Great job. But I would come home, and God would put this burning in my heart. What are you doing for eternity? That's what he was doing to me. That's what he was doing to me. What are you doing of eternal significance? Which led us to the point of saying, you know what? The comfort of a white picket fence, a house on the water, my kayak hanging in the garage. I got to step out. I've got to do something. I've got to try. Peter got out of the boat. He wanders. He walks. Off they go. Leads to, I think, our third takeaway. Our third takeaway that when we do, when we step out, when we leave that comfort behind, we and those around us will never be the same. We and those around us will never be the same. You see that Peter was changed and all of the rest as well worshipped. As Peter climbed into the boat, they may have been thinking, brown noser, I guess I should have done that. But they didn't. They may have been thinking, you dumb fool. Where'd you been if Jesus hadn't saved you? But you know what? They saw, they experienced, they saw the power of God in action when Peter said, you know what? I'm not going to sit in my backyard watching others fly overhead. I'm going to try it myself. This is actually Larry Walters' tombstone. Larry Walters, forever known as lawn chair pilot, he left behind a legacy somewhat of stupidity, but a legacy of brave, of daring, of saying, I'm not content. A man can't just sit around. I'm going to do something. I'm going to try something. I don't know what's going to happen. So where are we leaving a legacy? Where are we seeking to make a difference? Sorry, I'm digging through these. I'll find it. Okay, Peter's confession, return to text. Oh, this says conclusion. That could be good. That is a good good sign there. Okay, that's good. I've got a little in my communications class. I, I start the whole class at the beginning of the semester with a little cartoon I put up there, and it's got family coming out of church, 
and the little kid is looking up at mom and dad and says, the best thing, the thing I like best is when he said, in conclusion. So here we go. The thing you like best, in conclusion. The challenge, the challenge is, are we sitting around content, complacent, in cowardice? What is God calling you to do? What is God calling me to do? Some biblical examples of those who stepped out. I'm not going to read through them, but think of these individuals. Think of them stepping out and the difference they made. Think of how the text and story of Scripture would be different if they hadn't. Think of how they were changed as a result of stepping out. Think how easy it would have been for Moses to say, I'm going to stay out here with these stinky sheep in the desert, kind of making a good living. This is okay. You know, my father-in-law is treating me well. Think about Mrs. Noah. She hadn't gotten into that boat and let that door close behind her and her family. Think about Esther, the story of Purim. Think about if Esther had not gone before the king to ask him to save the Jewish people because they were about to be destroyed. She took her life in her own hands to do that. She not only impacted her life, but the whole Jewish people at that point in time. Think about Mary. What if Mary had said no? to God when God came and said, through you, I'm going to bring the Messiah. Think about some people from scum. Think about your pastor, our pastor, my pastor, who stepped out and left Ohio behind to come with his wife and family to Denver to go to seminary who then left Corona Presbyterian Church and with some crazy, tatted, pierced animals called Five Iron Frenzy, right, Leonor? Where's Leonor? Um, Said, you know, we are going to do what God calls us to do. We are going to start a church, which you're now a part of that church, scum of the earth. Think about our friend Marcus, who's up camping in the mountains. Marcus, in this last year, thanks to many of us, many of you who helped him fund his journey, went over to Palestine with Christian peacekeeper teams as a human shield, standing in front of what they call the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, standing in front of the IDF, shielding the Palestinian settlers literally taking his life in his own hands. And if you read his blog, like typical Marcus, smarting off at times to the IDF who are carrying big guns, but stepping out and saying, I'm not going to be comfortable staying in Denver. I need to do what God's called me to do. Think of Aaron and Kathy moving from Ohio because God said, go minister along with this group called Scum of the Earth, packing up and coming out here and joining us. Yes, I have to give a shout out to my fam up there. Um, My daughter in the middle, leaving behind and going to China to minister for Christ teaching English. My wife on the left, 
thing that jumps out at me about her is that she was very content teaching eighth grade language arts in the burbs. Nice middle, upper middle class, middle school. Lots of middles there. And she this year, because of God's prompting, and she doesn't know I'm telling this, as because of God's prompting, left that middle school and moved into an urban elementary school. 90% free and reduced lunch. Very ethnic. It's been a hell of a couple weeks starting out, but God said, go make a difference. Scum Bicycle Shop, or Bicycle Factory, as it's called. Men and women from our congregation saying, you know, I could be sitting home on Sunday afternoon. They wouldn't be watching football. But I could be home on Sunday afternoon napping or doing my home brew, but instead saying we're serving our community around the church up at 11th in Calamath. Stepping out, making a difference. So where are you? Are you comfortable sitting around in your lazy boy recliner? And no, that's not meant to be a picture of one of you. Watching TV, drinking your brewskis or your Mr. Pibb, playing World of Warcraft, because of course we're not watching the Rockies. And that's actually Larry's chair. That is the chair that Larry went up in and landed in. Are you pulling out your chair? And are you putting on the balloons, tying them on? Are you filling them up with helium? Are you against all odds and against all common sense, saying, you know what? I'm going to step out. And it may start with, as Craig challenged us last week, reading your Bible coming out last week as he was challenging us about the text of Scripture. But what does it go beyond that? What do you read in there, and what is God telling you to do? Where are you seemingly against the odds, against common sense, in spite of your fears, your limitations, saying, I'm done, I'm tired of being comfortable. It's time to make a difference. Are we, and I heard this one time coming from a guy named Dave Busby talking about the, the story of Peter and the disciples in the boat. Are you a boat hugger or are you going to be a water walker? What is God calling you to do? Some final words and then... Yes, I think, David, we will show that. Um, some final words coming from Robert Fulgum. If you've ever read the little thing, all I ever learned, needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. Google it if you haven't. But Robert Fulgum talks about Larry. Now, let me tell you about Larry Walters, my hero. When asked why he did it, he said, a man can't just sit around. When asked if he was scared, he answered, wonderfully so. When asked if he would do it again, he said, nope. <laughs> and asked if he was glad that he did it, he grinned from ear to ear and he said, oh, yes. The human race sits in its chair. On the one hand is the message that says there's nothing left to do. And the Larry Walters of the earth are busy tying balloons to their chairs directed by dreams and imagination to do their thing. 
Fulgham continues, the human race sits in its chair. On the one hand is the message that the human situation is hopeless. And the Larry Walters of the earth soar is the next word. Soar upward knowing anything is possible. Sending back the message from 11,000 feet. I did it. I really did it. I'm flying. Parenthetical, wouldn't you want to be the one that's up there flying and looking back down on the rest of us and saying, you don't know what you're missing. It's the spirit here that counts. The time may be long. The vehicle may be strange or unexpected. But if the dream is held close to the heart and imagination is applied to what there is close at hand, everything is still possible. But wait. Some cynic from the edge of the crowd insists that human beings still can't really fly. Not like birds anyways. True. But somewhere, in some little garage, some maniac with a gleam in his eye is scarfing vitamins and mineral supplements and practicing flapping his arms, saying, I am not going to be comfortable. They say it can't be done. It's scary outside of that boat. It's comfortable sitting here in my lazy boy. I want to see Mike rewrite the scum motto. And I want it to say, a church for the right-brained and the left-out, semicolon, we don't sit around. That we, you, me, that we aren't comfortable. That we get out of our chair. That we say, where's God calling us? Where can I go that the only way this is going to work is if God, through the work of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, empowers me, works through me, guides me, gives me wisdom. If not, I am toast. Just think what a difference we could make in our community, where you work, where you go to school. I've got a um, little clip. This is an old clip it's 1978, approximately, up in Estes Park. There's a Christian music conference that happens up there. One of my heroes is an old fart um, named Keith Green, who died in 1982-1983. Plane crash, he and two of his kids. One of the most, I think, significant songwriters in the Christian world. Um, he wrote a song called Sleep in the Night. And the lyric lines that jump out at me is, and I can't, they're somewhere in this stack up here, but let me see if I find them. Okay. Somebody sing while I'm looking for this. Very good. Thank you, David. Of course, it's the last one I found. It's like, you know, in Scrabble, that tile you really want is the last one. Some of the lyric lines says, do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care, don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Oh, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. You know it's all I ever hear. No one aches, no one hurts, no one even sheds one tear. But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds, and he cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. 
Oh, can't you see it's such sin? Because he brings people to your door and you turn them away as you smile and say, God bless you. Be at peace. And heaven just weeps. Because Jesus came to your door, you left him out in the street. Then it goes on to say a little bit later, the world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave, and you and I and we, we can't even get out of bed. Oh, Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, get out of your bed. Oops, there's Peter. That's us, hopefully. sinking down don't you care don't you care are you gonna let them drown how can you be so numb not to care if they come you close your eyes and pretend the job's done oh bless me lord bless me lord you know it's all sheds one tear but he cries he weeps he bleeds and he cares for your needs and you just lay back and keep soaking it in oh can't you see it's such sin because he brings people to your door and you turn them away as you smile bless you. Be at peace. And all heaven just weeps. Because Jesus came to your door. You've left him out on the streets. Open up. Open up. And give yourself away. You see the need you hear the cries, so how can you delay? God's calling, and you're the one, but like Jonah, you run. He's told you to speak, but you keep holding it in. Oh, can't you see it? The church just can't fight Cause it's asleep in the light How can you be so dead When you've been so well fed Jesus rose from the grave And you, you can't even get out of bed Oh, Jesus rose from the dead
pray for us. Father God, I just give you praise that um, you have chosen, as foolish as it may seem to us, to use us in your kingdom plans and purposes. Father, may we pursue with a vengeance that calling that you've given to us. May we believe that, as you said to Jeremiah, as you said to Paul, that While we were still in our mother's wombs and even from the creation of the world, you saw us, you knew us, you were calling us to yourself, you were creating for us that purpose, which is not to sit around. So, Father, may we, each one of us, and I ask this for myself, may we, Father, be sensitive to your spirit. May we make ourselves uncomfortable for the sake of the kingdom leaving our excuses and comfort behind, knowing that it's your spirit, your spirit himself that will empower us and work through us. May we then give you the power and the glory, and may we give you the praise. Father, may we be changed, and may we be a part of changing those around us. We pray in your son's name. Amen.